Today on Inside Politics, it's election day in America. Key races in Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, and Mississippi could give us clues about the mood of the electorate with one year to go until voters pick a president. One big issue in all these races is abortion. Democrats think it galvanizes voters still furious about the Dobbs decision. But nearly a year and a half later, does it pack the political punch it did in the midterms? And the House is poised to vote on a resolution censuring Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib for recent comments many see as anti-Semitic. We'll talk to one of her colleagues about whether fellow Democrats will stand by her. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. And we begin with today's off-year election. Issues like abortion and inflation are dominating today's races, along with how voters feel about both the man currently in the White House and the man who wants it back. Eva McKend is in Kentucky, where Democratic Governor Andy Beshear is fighting for re-election in a ruby-red state. Jessica Dean is in Virginia, where Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin, who is not on the ballot today, is hoping that his party wins full control of the state legislature and with it, the power to pass a 15-week abortion ban. Jessica, let's start with you. These are all local races, state delegates, state senators, but they really have been nationalized, haven't they? They sure have, Dana. And look, if you were to ask Governor Glenn Youngkin, he would say, and he said this last night at a rally that I attended, this is about Virginians. This isn't about Republicans and Democrats. But to your point, so many national implications are running through this state as they head to the polls today, chiefly among them that issue of abortion. And you really hit the nail on the head at the beginning of your show. How much political punch does it still hold? We saw it holding so much in last year's midterms and helping Democrats maintain control of the U.S. Senate. So the question here is somewhat of a proxy battle to see how it plays out. Just to set the scene for everyone, right now the Democrats hold the state Senate, Republicans hold the the state House, and Glenn Youngkin is going all across the state. He, as you said, not on the ballot himself, but going all across the state selling his vision and pitching himself to voters along with his vision, saying if you'll just send uh, complete Republican control to the state legislature, uh, we can get this agenda done. And so it is now up to the voters. Do they want to move forward with that? Or do they want some checks and balances? Of course, Democrats here in the state of Virginia uh, looking to hold on to the state Senate and even expand into the House as well. And and key to all of this is that potential 15-week abortion ban. Right now, it's 26 weeks in Virginia. And it's worth noting that Virginia is the only southern state that has not uh, pursued further restrictions on abortion since Roe versus Wade was overturned. Now, Glenn Youngkin tried to do that, uh, but the, the Democrats in the state Senate stopped him. So that's why he's now going to voters and pitching this. But Dana, he's really talking about a whole host of issues, uh, police reform and, and also uh, public schools, that sort of thing. But in the end, so many of the ads and what Democrats are certainly talking about a lot is abortion. So we will be looking to see how that all plays out tonight. It's really interesting about Virginia being the only southern state that didn't uh, change its law. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, uh, Jessica. Now let's go to Eva McKend. She's in Louisville covering the governor's race in the bluegrass state. Eva, Donald Trump won Kentucky by more than 25 points in 2020. But the governor there, who is a Democrat, has a fighting chance at getting reelected. 
He does, Dana. Still, though, Governor Bashir faces a key test here. Is his brand of politics, does it have durability? You know, we were with him last night in Lexington, and he was talking about infrastructure, and he was speaking to his supporters and saying, listen, there's no such thing as a Democrat bridge or a Republican bridge. Uh, he has been at the helm here over several natural disasters, oversaw the pandemic, some tragedies in this state. And all the while, he's branded those efforts as being part of the same team. We know that that is a message that resonates with at least some Trump supporters, the Trump supporters that he'll need if he's able to pull off a victory here. Now, Daniel Cameron, the attorney general, still presents a real challenge for Governor Bashir. He voted here earlier this morning with his family. What he has done is endlessly tie the governor to President Biden. Biden, of course, not popular in the state of uh, Kentucky. Cameron has also attacked the governor for his record on the pandemic, arguing that more needs to be done to work in concert with the Republican-controlled state legislature, which he argues he's better suited to do to address learning loss. One thing is for sure, Dana, what we're hearing from a lot of people is that they believe this race is going to be incredibly close. So interesting. Thank you so much, Eva. Appreciate that reporting. Now we want to bring in our exceptional panel to discuss the big picture around today's elections. Margaret Tollib, senior contributor at Axios, CNN's Daniel Strauss, and Politico correspondent Heidi Prisbola. Thank you so much to all of you. Happy Election Day. Happy election Day. It's, it's, it's actually quite an election day. I mean, for an off-year series of contests, it's not just that they might tell us something about 2024, but in their own right, these are all fascinating How so? races. Well, I mean, a, You've got uh, in Kentucky, you know, this contest for whether a Democratic governor can use uh, women's concerns about reproductive freedoms to hang on in a very red state. But he's also opposed against um, the man who become who could become the first uh, black Republican governor in the United States. Uh, and then in Mississippi, you've got a little sprinkle of Elvis Presley and a big fight over Medicaid funding uh, and. And the reality is that there is uh, an enormous uh, African-American population of residents in the state of Mississippi, many obstacles to them being able to vote uh, in commensurate numbers. And um, even, even the idea that there could be a, a democratic ability to pick up in a yeah. state like Mississippi is intriguing. And then, of course, in Virginia, you've got this big litmus test over uh, Glenn Youngkin's power. So let's talk about that. It's Glenn Youngkin's power, definitely. But let's just drill down on one of the big issues, which, of course, is what Jessica was reporting on, and that is the issue of abortion. Listen to what the governor has been saying all through Virginia as he's campaigning. We wanted to be incredibly clear on the bill that we would progress, the only bill that we would progress, that's to protect life at 15 weeks, and to call it a ban is such a mistruth and, and disinformation, and they should all be ashamed of what they've said over this campaign, because none of it has been true. So again, there are a lot of ways that we can look at the races today. One of the things that I'm fascinated in, Daniel, is the rebrand uh, attempt by Republicans on abortion. That word, ban, being replaced by limit, which I, I know from my reporting, I'm sure you all have heard, uh, conservative groups have been pushing yes. Republican candidates for that rebrand. He is trying it, and the question is, will it work? 
Yeah, and look, the reason that there is this push to rebrand at all is because uh, Republicans and conservatives on abortion have seen the electoral results in the last few cycles and major elections and see that that doesn't yield the result that they want. For both Youngkin and the party at large, Virginia's an incredibly important state on this issue because there is still a sense of being in the wilderness on how to address abortion while pushing some kind of new laws and new restrictions. And that's what Youngkin is looking for here. If he can uh, lead a, um, a resurgence in Republican control, a wave election in his state, he can argue that he now has a blueprint for the rest of the party across the country that may save them in uh, the next cycle, in the presidential cycle, and may lead to whoever the nominee is, probably Donald Trump, uh, to have a, a way to address that in the general election. Virginia, to me, is the most important race, if you had to pick one, to watch what's happening in the lead up to next year's election. Before New Hampshire, before Iowa, there's always the Virginia off-year elections. And this year, we're talking about two big trends that we're gonna be watching here, which is suburban voters and the issue of abortion. And that cuts across Ohio, it cuts across Virginia and many of the other races today. <clears throat> but in Virginia, I don't know that rebranding is going to work if you remember going back to really the women's march after Trump was elected. A lot of this was about women's rights. It wasn't just about abortion, but about women suburban voters kind of rising up. And we saw that with the Women's March, we saw that with the women waiting out in the rain to cast their votes, essentially in opposition to Trump uh, in the, in the off-year elections. And so this is going to be a test of, we know what we saw right after the Dobbs decision came down, which was just mind-blowing uh, referendums in states like Kansas. Is, does that still hold? Is that passion right. still there a year out despite rebranding? I mean, look, and you also have to remember here that, that what propelled Youngkin to the governor's mansion was not a robust discussion of abortion. It was education <laughs> in a rights. contrast yeah. with um, uh, Terry McAuliffe. That is true. Uh, but let's, since we're on the subject of Virginia, let's stay on it because, because we live in D.C. and uh, we have access to what we see on TV. I mean, the, the Virginia ads run on our television sets for people who actually still watch television. If you're watching, the answer is yes, you are watching. Thank you. Uh, let's look at some of the messaging that we have seen uh, tying the Republicans on the ballot. Again, these are local races to the MAGA movement. MAGA Republicans were one vote away from banning abortion in Virginia. Shia embraces the MAGA crowd and funds anti-choice extremists who back Trump. Because of Siobhan Denovan's new law, MAGA Republicans are banning books like these across Virginia, censoring what our students learn. Barbara Comstock, a former Republican congresswoman from Virginia, told me on State of the Union she thinks that's potent. Right. This is a test for 2024, by the way. This is message testing for 2024. Every time you hear Joe Biden go out and give a speech, he'll try to use the phrase MAGA Republicans. Uh, if it works in Virginia, it may work in other pivotal swing states. But I think uh, trying to distinguish um, the idea that there can be moderate Republicans from the idea that Trump is the standard bearer of the party and there can be no moderation is going to be something the Democrats try to use. Abortion and health care in the last two, three elections have been so vital to Democrats. And the fact that either abortion 
or health care through the Medicaid debate is on the ballot in all of okay, these so states. So you mentioned Medicaid. I, I got to We got to talk about Presley. Yeah. He is Brandon Presley running in Mississippi as a Democrat. His grandfather and Elvis Presley's grandfather were brothers. And he's not like leaning very far into it, but he's not ignoring it. I mean, why would you? Well, I'm sure that can do nothing but help you in the South. There are many Especially parts of the country, Especially if you're a Democrat in Mississippi. Um, but that's not the only reason no. why he stands a fighting chance here. Um, some of it is demographic, right? Like 40% of the population in that state is, is black and he gets strong support from that segment. It'll all depend on turnout. I mean, if, if he was able to pull this off, it would be a massive, massive upset. But the other thing that he has is some crossover support from Republicans. I've seen interviews with Republicans on the issue of Medicaid and cutting back Medicaid spending. Look, despite the party's broader platform, a lot of the states that want to cut Medicaid are where red voters rely most on it. And this is a class A example of that. There are poor white voters uh, also who rely on Medicaid, whether it is for uh, prenatal care, whether it's for health insurance, whether it's for coverage, whether it's because they're in rural areas. People want health care from both parties of all political persuasions. Okay, every great conversation. Everybody stand by because coming up, what Donald Trump's testimony in court tells us about his strategy on the campaign trail going forward. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Donald Trump's testimony in New York gave the courtroom and, of course, the country a taste of what a 2024 race would look like when a major party candidate is embroiled in legal problems. This comes as polls show him continuing to dominate his party competitors, but also pulling ahead of President Biden in several key battleground states. CNN's Jeff Zeleny joins us now. So, Jeff, you uh, got a look at, well, we all got a look at how things would play out on the campaign trail from the witness stand yesterday. Uh, I know you're already in Miami ahead of tomorrow's debate. He will not be there, but he's going to be doing his own thing. He is, Dan. And look, the witness stand is going to become a familiar place 
for Donald Trump, as is the defense table. And we did get a glimpse yesterday of what we've really seen for several months, but he was under oath, which he seldom is, but he was as defined as ever. And really what has become clear is something that we've been saying for so many months. His political strategy is intertwined with his legal strategy. We saw that playing out yesterday in the courtroom, him being bombastic and defiant, and then going out immediately and using those same talking points to try and portray himself as the victim. That is his strategy going forward, and it has worked. Right now he has consolidated the base behind him and look for him to continue to do that tomorrow evening at a rally he'll be having here in Hialeah, Florida. He'll be again, I'm sure, talking about his court cases, how uh, he is the victim in all of this. But what we don't know, Dana, is even though his message is the same, the rules are far different. How he is judged in a courtroom could be far different than how he's ultimately judged by voters. And Jeff, let's talk about the endorsement uh, game, if you will. And we saw yesterday, we saw his former press secretary, who now happens to be the governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, endorsed Trump. And then Ron DeSantis over the weekend scored an endorsement, a key one, from Iowa's popular governor, Kim Reynolds. The question that we ask every single cycle is, does it matter? Right. Look, both of those governors will be actually coming here to Miami. the Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds, will be uh, at, a, at a fundraiser tonight with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Look, uh, her endorsement certainly matters far more than Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, we're not going to get to the Arkansas primary until much later next year. But the Iowa governor's endorsement is something that all of the candidates certainly would have wanted and liked. The question is, though, is it enough to pull the Florida governor over the finish line? We will find out. But she's a deeply popular uh, figure in the Republican Party in Iowa. But at the end of the day, endorsements do not win uh, campaigns. The candidates have to do it themselves. Dana? Yeah, I mean, I think in recent times, the endorsement that mattered the most, maybe more than any, of course, was Jim Clyburn endorsing uh, Joe Biden back in the South Carolina primary uh, in 2020. Jeff, thank you so much. I'll see you in Miami tomorrow night. And our our panel is back here. uh, And let's sort of move on and talk about the Democrat in the White House, who, of course, is running for re-election, and how they have been trying to, in the Biden campaign and, and at the DNC, trying to frame their paid media, the ads. And this is really interesting. This is according to Ad Impact. Most, like by far, the majority of the ads that have been up are positive ads. Like this is what President Biden has done. This is what he has uh, This is why you've benefited from him in the White House. More than $7 million. Contrast ads, which is a nice way of saying attack ads, uh, just $64,000. Now, we all know where we are. It's one year out to Election Day. It is extremely early. We can expect that to change dramatically. But what does that tell us about the position that the White House thinks that the president is in right now, internally, not just what we're seeing in public polls? That's a really interesting question. I think it has been long part of Biden's uh, brand to try to project an optimistic or positive image or the idea of uh, being able to bridge divides and move forward. He's still trying to define the economy positively and attaching his own name to it, and it's not been working. I think another two data points to consider are, number one, they don't want to elevate Donald Trump too much right now out of the gate. Uh, He's not the nominee yet, and uh, they don't want to help make it a foregone conclusion. Uh, But the other piece of this is that uh, every Democrat is mindful of 
um, Hillary Clinton's race for president and um, sort of in, in the rearview mirror, the um, inability to divine a positive message for herself and to focus more on just the negative of Trump. And I think all that is, is part of the state of play. They don't need to define Trump as well. And it's no secret that, that they feel that there's a big disconnect right now between what's happening in some of the economic data, for, for instance, with GDP, and what people's feelings are about the state of the economy, which was supposed to be really an amazing uh, accomplishment here for the president to have taken us out of COVID and out of what could have been a really devastating recession, and yet uh, they feel not to have credit for that. That said, uh, his poll numbers, th this recent spate of polls is, is not good. Uh, look, I'm, I'm hesitant to uh, read too much into the polls after 2016. And as you're talking about, I just want to put up on the screen sure. the polls you're talking about. Go ahead. So after 2016 and after 2022, to read too much into the polls. Furthermore, the administration is pointing out where Obama was at this point and that he came back. But, and I know you're going to get to this, but the one thing that did not exist back then that exists now that is so important are some of these voices, allies of the president, coming out and saying, hey, you know what, I think maybe he should reconsider getting out of the race, which is, is kind of devastating. So that's what former candidate for, well, former congressman, former candidate for Senate who did not win, uh, Tim Ryan said to our colleague Casey Hunt yesterday, David Axelrod, our, our colleague here, uh, didn't say get out of the race, but he is uh, sounding the alarm very, very loudly, which is not exactly welcome. Uh, welcome, a welcome sound, let's say, at right. the White House. And look, it's pretty clear between the poll, the polling we've seen and the voices uh, sounding an, a public alarm that there is a concern within the Democratic Party that they can't rebuff uh, attacks about Biden as being too old. And he's not much older than Donald Trump. But demeanor-wise, the contrast is pretty clear. And that's why I think we're seeing positive ads right now in, instead of negatives. There will be a contrast when there is a nominee. This is auguring to be a very negative election. And what the Biden team is clearly doing right now is looking to motivate their voters or their base that usually and, is, uh, and reliably votes for them and get them excited now, because clearly that's an issue. Thanks, guys. We are going to switch gears now as we head to break and look at what is happening in Israel today. People gathered to mark one month since the Hamas attack. Fourteen hundred people were brutally massacred in an unimaginable barbaric attack. And still, nearly 250 people are hostages in Gaza. We're going to go to Israel next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them on Be My Guest, the podcast. New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts.
For 30 days now, hundreds of families have anxiously awaited word on the fate of their loved ones being held hostage by Hamas in Gaza. Several family members of hostages joined House Republican leaders this morning on Capitol Hill to beg for help and for an end to their silent suffering. Here is Doris LeBur, her son Guy and his best friend were taken during the attack on the music festival near Gaza. Every day is like eternity to me and I can't wait any longer because I know that he was shot. I know, I don't know anything. I'm so proud of being an American, being an Israeli as well. But I, I do need you now because there's nothing helping me now. I, I, I pray, which I didn't do before, but, but just please help me. Today marks exactly one month since Hamas terrorists launched that horrific attack on Israel. Hamas is still holding nearly 250 hostages and Israeli troops are inside Gaza encircling Gaza City. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says he's open to short humanitarian pauses, but no ceasefire without the release of hostages. I want to go straight to Nick Robertson, who is live in Starot. I know there's a lot happening at this moment, Nick. Uh, there is, and I'm just going to look over my shoulder here. Maybe John can just sort of go over to the horizon. Uh, pitch black. Seconds ago, we saw a series of rockets taking off out of Gaza. What you're looking at now is in the direction of Gaza City, where the head of the IDF Southern Command says IDF troops are currently fighting in the heart of Gaza City. Yet we've just seen a series of perhaps eight rockets at least coming out of Gaza City headed towards central Israel. And when those missiles are not intercepted here close to us, that means they that means they're very likely going to trigger the alarms in central Israel, perhaps around Tel Aviv, perhaps in other places. And the Iron Dome intercept rockets will t will, will, will intercept them uh, uh, f further north from here. But I think that just gives you an indication that while uh, the IDF is making gains against Hamas on the ground, they said they killed 10 Hamas operatives today, that they've taken control of a number of Hamas rockets, a number of Hamas rocket launchers. Uh, they're continuing to move forward on the ground. Hamas, despite that, is still able to fire out. There is still a huge network of Hamas tunnels in the north of Gaza and the south as well that the IDF has yet to get into. And as we were, as we've been hearing, the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, saying that he is open to considering what his terming tactical pauses. Are these the humanitarian pauses the United States is pushing for? They're certainly not the ceasefire Israel's Arab neighbors are pushing fire for. The prime minister says no ceasefire without a release of all the hostages. But when he speaks about tactical pauses, he said maybe for an hour or so, maybe we've had these before, maybe we can consider them again. Um, Hamas is still in the, in the, has the ability to fire missiles into the center of Israel, it seems, tonight. Absolutely, and obviously is determined to continue doing that as this war rages on. Nick, thank you so much. 30 days since you have been there reporting. Excellent, excellent reporting. We're lucky to have you there, Nick. And up next, back here in the U.S., abortion may not technically be on the ballot in Virginia, but the results of today's election will determine the future of abortion rights 
in the Commonwealth of Virginia. John King was there talking to voters and will be here to preview tonight's results. Stay with us. In Virginia, both houses of the state legislature are up for grabs in today's election, and the outcome could shape the future for Virginia's Republican governor and the 15-week abortion ban he's been pushing. CNN's John King reports. A change of seasons in Loudoun County, and a choice that will echo well beyond Virginia. Abortion's tough. I have two girls. Um, I feel personally that Every woman has the right to do what she feels is right for her with her body. Nanette Meese is a registered Republican, but one of the suburban voters who changed Virginia from red to blue. Abortion and guns, those are two big things. Meese voted early for the Democrat in a critical state Senate race here. Five flyers in the mail every day for the last month. It's a lot of, a lot of money wasted. Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin is among those spending millions. Holding the House, flipping the Senate. Holding the House, flipping the Senate. Youngkin is not on this year's ballot, but his presidential ambitions are. Youngkin thinks he can reverse the Republican collapse in the suburbs, even while backing new abortion restrictions. If voters give him a full Republican legislature, Youngkin says Virginia will ban abortions after 15 weeks, with exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother. No more are we going to allow bureaucrats to tell folks that parents don't belong in the classroom. Yet no abortion mention in his rally speech. You said you're for tax cuts, you're for parental rights, you're for more funding for police. Isn't it strong leadership to say, I'm for this too? It is very clear where I stand on this. We're running a big advertising campaign. Here's the truth. There is no ban. Virginia Republicans support a reasonable 15-week limit. Mega Republicans like Juan Pablo Segura want to ban abortions in Virginia. Criminalizing abortions is wrong. It is a giant test of whether Republicans can end a streak of punishing election losses since the Supreme Court tossed out Roe v. Wade. Discussion around abortion is one between an extreme position from the left and a reasonable position from all Republicans. The Yunkin events look like a presidential test run. This is in Henrico County, the fast-growing Richmond suburbs. Democrats hope to unseat a big Yunkin ally and prove the abortion debate still cuts their way. There's nothing reasonable about banning abortion, but that's exactly what Republican Siobhan Donovan wants to do. During the COVID lockdowns, it was Siobhan Donovan that really worked to, to get our kids back in the classrooms, and I'm deeply appreciative for that. Rachel Kulak calls herself a conservative independent, supports Donald Trump, prefers a six-week abortion ban, but is open to compromise. I don't support abortion, but if he can get it to 15 weeks, I think perhaps that's a fair middle ground. Loudoun County is 40 miles west of Washington, D.C. It still leaned red when G. Van Fleet moved here 18 years ago. Loudoun was home to just shy of 100,000 people then. It is more than four times that now, and 20% of the county's voters are Asian. My neighbors are Indians, Vietnamese, Korea, and I'm Chinese. And uh, if you talk about diversity, this is a very diverse area. It's also become more democratic out here. Does that bother you? It bothers me, yes. South Carolina-born Gladys Burke is part of Loudoun's evolution. She is an independent who leans blue, owns a promotional products business, and takes issue with Youngkin's education agenda. This thing about um, not teaching black history in the schools, not recognizing our black history, because I lived it. But still undecided on the state Senate race that could tip the balance of power. I've never been this torn before. 
but you're open to some restriction. Absolutely. absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even if she votes Republican this time, Burke says Youngkin is wrong to think Virginia will return to red next year. Absolutely, Biden, 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 Biden. You like him? <laughs> absolutely. I think he's done a great job. Nanette Meese is the face of Virginia's suburban shift. Her last Republican vote for president? George W. Bush back in 2004. That is the last time the Republican nominee carried Loudoun County and Virginia. Still a registered Republican, but ready to cast a fifth consecutive Democratic vote for president next year, but with hesitation. I don't think he's the perfect one, but if I have to pick between him and Trump, who I would never, ever, ever vote for, it'd be Biden and just pray. That's for next November. First, this year's big test. So interesting uh, to hear all of those voices that will determine not just today, uh, but next year. This is where you're going to be all night. This is where I'm going to be Give all us night. A preview. And think about Virginia. Joe Biden carried the state by 10 points, right? So why are we talking about Virginia? We're talking about Virginia because in Loudoun County, this is where some of the key races are. You just most of those voters are from Loudoun County state Senate race that goes right out here that could decide does Virginia adopt abortion restrictions? Look how much. Look how much. 25 points. Joe Biden carried the county. But when Glenn Youngkin ran for governor, he didn't win the county, but he narrowed the gap considerably. In Loudoun County, in Henrico County, you, the margins matter in the suburbs. Youngkin was able to run much better than Donald Trump in the suburbs. Another thing to watch here in Loudoun County, we focus a lot on black voters, they matter. Latino voters, they matter. Growing Latino population here, but Asians are more than 20% of the voters here. It's one of the most important places in the country when you come to a critical swing constituency, not only tonight, but in 2024. They have trended Democratic. Youngkin believes they're coming back his way because of dissatisfaction with Biden. They like Youngkin's education and economic policies. A suburban battleground tonight that will tell us a lot about next year. Okay, so you're going to be on this date. We're going to be the Commonwealth. We're going to be yeah. on, at, at it's Kentucky. It's Commonwealth night. It is. That's right. <laughs> Kentucky as well. Uh, and Ohio and more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Such a good piece. Up next, the House could vote in the next hour on whether to censure Rashida Tlaib for her anti-Israel. Some consider anti-Semitic comments. Will any Democrats or fellow Democrats support it? I'll talk to one of her colleagues next. It has been one month since Hamas terrorists attacked Israel and murdered some 1,400 civilians. Since then, with the war between Israel and Hamas raging, anti-Semitic incidents and threats have increased vastly across the U.S. and across the world. Just yesterday, a Jewish man in California died after suffering a head injury at a demonstration where both pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian protesters gathered. A man identified as 69-year-old Paul Kessler was allegedly involved in a physical altercation with at least one counter-protester when he fell and struck his head. Kessler's death has been ruled a homicide and the investigation is still ongoing. Here in Washington later today, the Democratic Party's divide over U.S. support for Israel will be on full display. Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is facing two censure resolutions for her comments on Israel that many view as anti-Semitic. Joining me now to discuss this and more is New Jersey Democratic Congressman Josh Gottheimer. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, let's start with a vote that may happen pretty soon this afternoon, and that is to censure uh, Rashida Tlaib for a number of things, uh, including having um, making statements that suggest that Israel should be annihilated. This is a, from the river to the sea. Uh, she says it's just about an aspirational call for freedom. Uh, 
most people, most Jews, say it is about the uh, destruction, not just of the Jewish state, but of Jews. And that's universally accepted and known. That's what that means, River to the Sea, as the uh, destruction of Israel, land of Israel, and of course, uh, of the Jewish people. It's basically a call for a second Holocaust. So, so will, will you the, vote to censure Rashida Tlaib? If Mr. McCormick's uh, resolution comes to the floor, uh, I will be supporting that, yes. How tough a decision is this for you? And I'll be honest with you, you know, I've, re I've really grappled with the fact of over the last weeks, one, uh, Ms. Tlaib came out a couple of weeks ago after the hospital bombing, uh, which was, was awful, the, the bombing next to the parking lot. But there was a news that came out on many stations that that actually was Israel doing it. And the truth came out thereafter, not listening to Hamas's in intelligence, but to American intelligence. And that was launched by Islamic Jihad. Uh, and that uh, bomb that, that hit next to the hospital. And I asked uh, Ms. Lieb to please take down the false information, the disinformation that it was Israel that had bombed that hospital. And as you know, she has yet to take that information down or change, or change the story there. And these things have a huge impact on the rest of the world. Millions of people listen to what members of Congress, uh, like Ms. Lieb, say. And that disinformation leads to more anti-Semitism. I think it leads to more destruction and terror and death. And, and now uh, claiming that, you know, and, and saying that, and repeating River to the Sea on, on a video that she put out, including saying the President of the United States supports genocide. Those things are just unacceptable, and I think there has to be consequence for saying things that will lead to uh, destruction, anti-Semitism, and terror. Is there any concern that censuring Rashida Tlaib could backfire? I, mean, I think, listen, there has to be, when you, when you say things knowingly, and when people ask you to please not to say those things or to correct them, to Which take them did. down. Um, um, uh, many people have asked for that. Um, uh, many people have requested that she not spread this information, this disinformation, which causes more anti-Semitism and harm, and she's chosen not to. So I, I think there just has to be consequence for that, and, and, that's, and the House has a vehicle to do that. Let's talk, uh, well, first of all, part of the, uh, the video that she put out which said from the river to the sea, uh, at the end was very strident when it comes to her fellow Democrat in the White House, President Biden, about his support for Israel, saying that he's going to effectively pay the price at the ballot box in a year. She's not the only one. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal said that she believes that President Biden's stance on Israel will, will hurt his reelection chances. Listen to what she said. This is the first time, Jen, that I have felt like the 2024 election is in great trouble for the president and for our democratic control, which is essential to moving forward. Because these young people, Muslim Americans, Arab Americans, but also young people, see this conflict as a moral conflict yeah. and a moral yeah. crisis. And they, they are not going to be brought back to the table easily with, um, you know, if we do not address this. Your response. Listen, on October 7th, we know what happened. Hamas terrorists came in and butchered, massacred, raped, burned, beheaded uh, 1,400 people, including dozens of Americans. Americans are still hostage, and hundreds of others are still hostage, right? I believe the president's strength and resolve to crush and kill Hamas, to get humanitarian aid into the region, which I think is critical, and get the hostages home is why we're going to show the American people that our commander-in-chief is standing tall and strong for the United States of America and standing up against terror. And I believe people will, at the ballot box, 
And, and right now, and I've talked to Democrats and Republicans who are saying that we have no choice as a country but to back those who want to destroy terrorists, who want to seek us harm, who are actually, as we speak, launching, launching rockets at, and, and, and not only to Israel, but at Americans, right? As you've seen, there's been attacks against Americans, right? From Iraq, from Syria, from Houthis, right? Going after Americans. The commander in chief's job is to protect America, to protect our allies and to stand up to terror. Hamas has made it clear, as you know, Dana, that October 7th, the leadership of Hamas is only the beginning. They said there'll be a second, a third, a fourth October 7th. They will not stop. So the president said you can't just let them go on. Congressman, thank you. Unfortunately, we're out of time up against the end of the show. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Appreciate Dana. it. Thank you. Thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a quick break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.